G'day and welcome to the Hunting Connection Podcast. My name is Zach Williams and I am your host. Here we'll connect you with hunters, fishers and outdoor enthusiasts from around the globe. This podcast will share hunting and fishing stories including past experiences and tackle the tough hunting stereotypes our community faces. We hope to be a positive influence to those outside the community while also having a laugh along the way. Hope you enjoy the podcast. G'day and welcome to another episode of Hunting Connection Podcast. On today's episode, we um, have another American on, which is always great. I love chatting to Americans, um, but it's just so hard to uh, work it out with the um, time differences at times. But we've got Trent from Chest Thumpers Outdoors. How are you going, mate? Good, man. How are you? Yeah, good, man. Good. Um, you've gotten up early to, to join us here today, so I, I really appreciate you you're doing that yeah no problem i was up at five o'clock this morning so six it's just after six thirty here probably i don't know six forty five. i can't see the clock on my phone right now so yeah beautiful well uh looks nice and light there um you know at six o'clock at our uh, in australian time at the moment it's uh pretty dark doesn't start getting light till, yeah. you know seven just after seven yeah yeah, it's it's beautiful this morning. Actually, it's been super hot here lately in the mid nineties in the mornings, and it's just just above eighty, like eighty two. It's a little cool this morning. It's kind of nice out. So yeah, I think that's like thirty <clears throat> mid mid thirties ish. Yeah, about thirty degrees Celsius maybe. Um, I'm not, yeah. not too great with the the conversions. I, I know Me either. I know about forty five degrees is about one hundred and ten Fahrenheit. So. Oh. <laughs> okay. Yeah, um, we'll just go with I'm. I trust you. Yeah, <laughs> I'll go with what you said. The conversions are so hard when it comes to that sort of thing. But whereabouts are you from, Trent? So I'm from Central Illinois. I'm uh, the Midwest. If you're familiar with U.S. deer hunting at all, it's one of like the top five whitetail states in the country. Um, I sure don't make it look that way, but it it is a pretty good state for for whitetail. So kind of the corn belt man the ag i know the county that i live in in illinois um we had the most expensive ag land in the country for like three years straight so i'm kind of in the heart of agriculture yeah beautiful yeah i was gonna say right in the heart of heart of whitetail country there so that's that's awesome to hear um what do you do for work man I do social media for a living, uh, social media marketing. I own a little archery shop, so kind of everything that can get me in the outdoors hunting and archery related. Um, and that's just a product of a lot of time of work and uh, suffering to be really honest with you. Like there's a lot of times where I'm waking up in the morning and it was like, how am I going to pay bills? How am I going to feed myself? You know, I went through for lack of a better term, a lot of hell to get where I'm at. I'm very proud of that. Um, and I mean, I'm still not, don't get that twisted. I'm still by no means wealthy. I don't know that I'll ever make it wealthy doing this, but I'm at least self-sufficient and supporting myself doing what I love. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. You're doing what you love. So that's, that's where, what counts and what matters. So what type of content are you doing for your social media stuff for people that don't know? So I do primarily my, my shtick for lack of a better term is going to be, uh, Broadhead testing is my biggest thing. Like a lot of guys really like my broadhead testing. And I think it's because I'm kind of doing a no nonsensical way and I'm not 
wasting time. You know, most of my broadhead test videos are three minutes or less. Your time is valuable. I'm not going to waste it with a bunch of fluffed up BS. Like I just kind of do it and run through it. And this is what it is. But I do product reviews as well, whether it be archery related stuff or saddle hunting now is very popular. And that's something I've been doing for the past four and a half years. So I do saddle gear and then I do hunting content as well. So I film all my own hunts. Um, I post that stuff. Some of my buddies film their hunts. I post stuff up for them. So, you know, a little, a little of everything, like just back to the whole, anything archery and bow hunting related. And what's your tests for broadheads? What, what type of things are you doing to to show the durability and sharpness and the flight and that. So, heads. yeah. So my tests have changed significantly over the years and they kind of, they're kind of always changing or I'm always looking to make them better. So the way I approach testing is right off the bat, you cannot replicate an animal. No matter what you do, you cannot replicate a live animal. There's too many variables there that you can't put into any sort of testing. So what I try to do is build a test where I eliminate variables and you can compare broadhead A to broadhead B versus, you know, what will it do to an animal? It's like, well, this one did this, this one did this to help you find something that's going to be better out in the woods. Uh, Right now, my testing consists of pulling a broadhead out of the package and testing the sharpness. I want to see how sharp it is right out of the pack. And that's a lot of that's because most guys here, I know this is different for you guys because I've had this conversation, but a lot of guys here will not sharpen their own broadheads. They'll pull them out of the package, they'll screw them all, they'll take them in the woods. Yeah. So I want to make sure they're taking a sharp head in the woods. The next thing I do is shoot it into ballistics gel. Um, and there I'm I'm not looking for penetration. I'm looking for a wound channel. I just want to see what kind of cut it's going to make in the gel. And one thing I've learned is the gel is not the gel is not the best medium to really see that because it reacts much differently than it's going to react, obviously, inside of an animal. But there's times where you'll get a broadhead that'll cut a hole in the gel. And just because of the nature, it'll close that wound channel up and it'll look like it's done a lot less than it really has. So I want to find a different medium to test that, but I don't think there's a better one that exists right now, or at least I don't know about it. Then after the ballistics gel, I usually shoot a hard quartering away shot because I want to see if I can get the broadhead to skip and deflect. And then after that, I shoot it through um, some 28 gauge aluminum, which isn't a super heavy duty metal, but to me, it replicates the rib bones of a whitetail pretty well. A lot of people give the rib bones of a whitetail too much credit. They're not that tough. They, I mean, you can take a rib bone from whitetail and break it in your hands. You know, it doesn't take that much pressure, that much poundage. And I'm trying to, when I'm testing, I'm trying to make sure the broadhead's going to perform in proper standards not not if you shoot something you know if you want to pin something in the shoulder that's not you shouldn't be doing that anyways you know what i mean so um, i get a lot of guys that are like well you know it's not that tough it's not that durable and i say yeah i get that but it's not i'm not trying to test things for for shooting you know i'm not shooting cow femurs i'm not shooting two by fours i'm not going to shoot things that you're not supposed to be shooting anyways I there's want to lot, make sure broadhead performs. There's lots yeah, of guys well, that do mean, that. <laughs> and, and it makes for good viewership. Like it makes for good content because it's cool to see. Oh, my broadhead blew up a cow femur or this one. You know, it's cool to see. I get it. But I'm not necessarily doing it just to make a spectacle. I want to give real information. So 
I shoot the 28 gauge and then I kind of just do an overview of what I saw in the testing and, and how I interpret that data. And that's my whole video. And I cram all that into, you know, three minutes or less. And so people can run through, you know, go down a rabbit hole per se and run through 20 broadhead reviews in an hour. And it's not that big a deal. What type of poundage are you running? Uh, are you changing poundage uh, on eight on at times or just the same bow, same poundage? Yep. Same bow, same poundage, 2870. Uh, that's just my stats. And I think that's kind of run of the mill average, yep. you know, just across, across everything. I think most guys are 2870. Yeah. I'm, so I'm 28 and a half and 70 pounds. So yeah, very, very similar. Exactly. So, um, I do get a, I get some guys asking about lower poundage and stuff like that. And, I'm fortunate that I can answer questions and kind of direct advice. And that's just based on my knowledge of broadhead design and what you, you know, in a low poundage, low energy scenario, you want penetration. Well, the obvious answer for that is a cut on contact two blade broadhead. Yep. It's going to out penetrate anything else out there. So, you know, stuff like that's pretty simple. And if I were to figure out a way, I mean, I could probably do a penetration comparison with ballistics gel uh, because it is an equal medium all the way through. I just, I don't like doing that because, because it, then people take that and they equate it to an animal yeah. and it's not the same thing. And no matter how much, it seems like no matter how much I say it <clears throat> in any of my videos, there's always somebody that's like, well, that's nothing like a real animal. Yes, I know. That's not, that's not the point. That's not the point at all. You know, I, I mean, I get that on TikTok a lot. TikTok's my big platform and I put broadhead tests on there and guys are like, well, when I'm shooting deer with steel plates, I'll care. I'm like, that's not the point, man. Like, I've ne- I say that I've said it a bunch. It's not the point. Are you a uh, speed guy or an FOC guy? What what type of weights are you running? Um, I'm really I'm neither. So this is the first year I've shot over 270 feet a second in probably the last 10 years, and it's just because the bow that I like this year is a pretty fast bow. Um, I'm kind of a I've gotten to the point where. I just build arrows because I want to build arrows. I don't, I don't care too much about what the weight is or what the FOC is or what the speed is, or I just build them because I feel like it. You know, I went down all of those rabbit holes three years ago. I shot a 23.4% FOC arrow at 560 something grains, you know, and I killed animals with it and it performed great. And then the following year I built like a 500 grain arrow with, 11% FOC and I killed animals with it and it performed great. I feel very strongly with modern equipment, that stuff matters a lot less. You know, if you're a trad guy, if you're shooting uh, a really old bow, yeah, I think you need to be more particular about your arrow weight and your FOC and stuff like that. But if you're shooting any level of modern compound, I just don't think it's that important. Yeah, full, fully understand. You know, I think I'm running about five five eighty ish um, total total arrow, arrow weight. What uh, grain heads are you mainly testing, or testing a bit of everything? Yeah, so I'll test everything. A uh, hundred grain is the most popular around here, so that and that tends to be what most manufacturers make. So most everything ends up with a hundred grain, and I. I shoot a hundred grains just so I have a plethora of broadheads that I can take in the woods and try to shoot animals with, but I test everything. I mean, I just posted uh, vantage point archery, which is a company not far from me. I just posted one of their tests with, yep. With the 200 grain Omega. 
you know, I posted um, Crimson Talon has a cleaver broadhead. It's 150 grains. I just posted that one, you know, so I'll test anything. And the nice thing about the nature of what I do is because of the way I test, I'm shooting things close up. I don't need to shoot things at 80 yards or, or 100 yards or I don't need to shoot those way long shots. Um, so I shoot everything close up so I can get away with like the 200 grain and 150 grain, even though my broadheads, like my setup's not tuned and set up for that. And it's probably under spining me quite a bit to put that much weight up front. I can still do it and get away with it and yeah. test it. And it's not a problem. Um, you did ask about accuracy testing a little bit. I don't at all. And I, I don't anymore. I used to, all my videos used to start with me shooting a balloon. And the reason I don't is because I've tested so many broadheads at this point and realized that if your bow is tuned and that broadhead spins true, that's the other end of it. It's got to be a good broadhead that spins properly. You'll shoot right where you want to. You'll shoot with field points. I've never tested a broadhead that doesn't shoot with field points, provided those other two things were true ahead of time. Yeah, that's that's a, a good thing to, to work out, that's for sure. Um, yeah, so 125 grain, I'd say, would be probably one of the most popular weights over here and... Yeah, I wouldn't say 100 grains a very popular grain. It's, you know, 125, 150, 180, 200, you know. Um, yeah. But uh, I, I, I equate that to, you know, because we run into a, a plethora of game over here. It's not just like you're going out, you're like, I'm just going for whitetail. Over here, you could be shooting a rabbit or you could be shooting a fallow deer or a red deer or a feral goat or a pig, you know. So you want something that covers covers all basic bases well i've also figured out just by nature australian hunters are a lot less lazy than american hunters <laughs> it's true yeah. and i mean it's it's 100 percent true because like i said you know for us i test that out of package sharpness because most guys won't sharpen your broadheads i had an australian company send me some heads and when i got them they were dull and i kind of i reached out to the company and this has been a long time ago so i do not remember the company but i remember this conversation i reached out and i was like hey man these are like really dull and he's like well sharpen them yeah and i'm like well yeah i get that but like that's not gonna fly in america because <laughs> the, the whole premise the whole premise was is they wanted to break into the u.s market yeah and, and i was like that's not gonna fly here because people here are lazy they want to open a pack screw them on and, and that's why that's why a lot of people ask me about accuracy man i get a lot of questions about accuracy and how they fly because most guys want to open a pack screw them on and take them out in the woods they don't want to tune their bow they don't want to practice they don't want to spend the time to get it right and that frustrates the crap out of me that's we're it taking an animal well we're taking an animal's life that should be significant and important and that should be something you're willing to put time in to make sure you're doing right yeah, 100% agree. 100% Yeah, agree. so when you get when you get guys that are just like, I just want to screw it on and take it to the woods. Or Around me, it's really popular to pull your bow out a weekend before season starts and shoot one arrow at 20 yards and call it a day. And then inevitably, the first weekend they go out to hunt, I'm going to see them and they're going to tell me that their bow is messed up because they just missed the buck of a lifetime at 25 yards and the bow's got to be messed up. No man, you just didn't shoot it all in the off season. <laughs> so have you what have you got a favorite head that you run while you're out, say hunting? Or you use uh, chopping and changing a fair bit or Yeah. Yeah. So 
I don't really have a favorite broadhead. I get that question a lot. Like, what's the best broadhead? What's your favorite broadhead? And I don't have one because another part of something my testing has taught me is there's a ton of really good options that'll do what they're supposed to if you do your part. Yeah. So for me, I want to try them all. Like, if it's good, I want to I want to try it. I want to see what it does on animals. I can't unfortunately shoot animals year round. Like, I don't have that ability here. So I want to take every broadhead and every opportunity I can to shoot as many animals as I can to see what they do. Yeah. Um, no, that's understandable. So my quiver, well, my quiver is usually a different broadhead on every arrow. Like I, I'm always changing, always playing around. Do you have a go-to style, whether it's expandable, fixed blade? Um, I'm typically a fixed blade guy. And that's just, and that's not that I have any hate for expandables. I, I really don't. Matter of fact, uh, True Blue Broadheads, Australian company, for the longest time, they were the sharpest broadhead that I ever tested in their mechanicals. And I've shot deer with them. They're freaking great broadheads. Yeah. Uh, the guys over there, the guys over there are great too. But I, I just, I'm typically a fixed blade guy. I think, I honestly think part of it's because of their underdogs. Like a fixed blade doesn't get as much love as a mechanical because they just don't look as cool. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's it. So, you know, I think part of it's that. And then I like the aspect of no failure. You know, unless it's going to fall apart going through the animal, it's not going to fail. And I don't shoot broadheads that are that junky anyways. Yeah. Um, and the the back end, the other end of that is, for me, a lot of my hunting scenarios are heavy brush, dense, thick areas where it's not out of the realm of possibility that I might, you know, hit a, hit a small twig or hit some leaves shooting at an animal. Or if I'm hunting off the ground, you know, I, I might have to shoot through some grass. Well, a fixed blade broadhead is going to give me a higher opportunity to go through that and continue to get yeah. to my path versus a mechanical that's going to open in flight. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Australians tend to be very fixed blade orientated. They love their their fixed blades. Like you look at the different different companies over here, most of them uh, are fixed blades. Whether you know it's Northern Broadheads, Van Diemen Broadheads, Cayuga. Ozcart, you know, the list goes on and on. Alien Archery, you know, all of these guys, they all have fixed blades, you know, single bevel or whatever, you know, and they, you know, all perform really well for what they're made to because they have that year-round testing. <laughs> right, right. Well, and that's kind of what drew me to True Blue initially is they were an Australian company that was mechanical. I was like, oh, that's different. Yeah. So, so I, I'm, uh, you know, shocked by that and I got interested in them. And then the idea that at the time I was shooting a 200 grain head, so I could take the two and build me a really big, awesome mechanical broadhead. That was awesome. That was a lot of fun. I actually just tested Northern broadheads Evo and I've got a Northern broadheads wide cut test coming out. And the Evo really, really impressed me. I was thoroughly impressed with how well the Evo did. Um, The wide cut did really well as well. Just not as good as the Evo. Have you uh, tested out Van Diemen broadheads? No. So my my experience with the Australian market uh, is basically True Blue and Northern. And then uh, that company that sent me those broadheads, I actually never got around to testing. I don't even know if they're around anymore. Yeah. There's been a few here, here there. Um, 
but yeah, Van Diemen, I'd love to see your reaction on them. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll get uh, the uh, owner of them to um, message you and see see what you can work out. I'd love to hear your review on them. That's what I'm I'm running. They're a, I personally think they're a great head. I've taken lots of game with them and I've had good mates take lots of different game with them. Something I'm interested to jump into, though, that you mentioned is tree saddles. So tr- tree stand hunting blind hunting, saddle hunting is not a thing here in Australia. You know, there would be maybe a dozen people across Australia that do it. Um, but saddle hunting is something, like one of my main fallow blocks is thick Australian bush, you know, gum trees, um, you know, come coming into our ruts, like, you know, end of March, start of April, before we have any wet weather, so it's just crunchy, it's walking on cornflakes. Tree stands and then saddles is something that I've been really, really looking into. But, you know, we're paying two and a half times more for a tree stand or a saddle set up than you guys are over there. So that's, you know, yeah. getting it over here, you know. You're, you're looking at, you know, a $500 set up over there and it's 1500 two grand here almost, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so for a situation like you're describing, I'd imagine it would be fantastic. The nice thing about a saddle is it's super lightweight, so if you have some serious walking to do, you know, that's not a big deal. It packs down well, it it goes in well, um, especially during rut, I'd imagine you can probably do some calling and get them to come to you. So you could set up in a tree and do some calling and get them to come in and check you out. And a, another advantage you're going to have is the animals where you're hunting are not used to being hunted out of an elevated position. No. So you're throwing something completely new at them. That could be a very, very lethal tactic. You may end up with animals that you typically wouldn't be able to get in on, on the ground. Yeah. That, and that's what I, that's one thing that I thought, you know, it would be a game change over here because everyone hunts from the ground. Everyone's walking around hunting or, you know, you know, sitting off a trail hunting or water source, food source, you know, calling. Um, so I definitely thought that saddle hunting would be a game changer. Is there any particular brands that you're running that you like? Um, you know, what do you think are, are the steps worth it? You know, because you see all these different attachments. and Yeah, so I'm a big fan of Tethered. Um, a lot of my companies that I am involved with, period, just at all, have to do with the guys that run them. Like I'm not beholden to any sponsors or anything like that. I don't owe anybody anything. If I'm using a product, it's because I like the product. I think it's good. And I like the people behind the product. I, I've, if I don't like the people behind the product, I won't touch it. I don't care if it's the best thing in the world. So for me, Tethered is really tough to beat. They're all super good dudes. That company was truly born from a bunch of guys that love to hunt and made a go at their dream and are making a really solid go at it. And I have a deep appreciation for that. You need as to, far as the steps, need, you need to get them to start um, sending gear over to Australia, to some of the shops. Australia. Cause I reckon it would, well, would do well over here if they could start marketing it right. If uh, they, I could always reach out to them and talk to them and see if they've thought about that market. I reckon it could be, I mean, good, it, it, especially with fallow deer and samba deer, even rooster and, Axis or chittle deer, it would be a, a or, or the hog deer, you know, because you've got a ballot over there. And, you know, most people build like a stand to take out, like a ladder stand with wheels and that, you know. A, a saddle setup would be a game changer on those deer, I reckon. Well, all deer here, but yeah, 
it'd be a market for him to open up in, into for sure. Interesting. I, I mean, I'll reach out and say something to him. I don't, I don't know that I've ever really thought about it. I'd never thought about it. I don't know what your hunting situation is over there other than most guys hunt off the ground. Yeah, that's, that's it. But you know, how high are you hunting off the ground from a, from a saddle set? So my particular setup, I do something called one sticking. Um, so that allows me to get basically as high as I could possibly want up to, we'll say 35 feet. Okay. So with the one stick versus multiple sticks, you hang them and you climb with a one stick, you climb, then you hang from the tree and move the stick up ahead of you. So you're continuing to basically almost like a climber stand, yeah. same principle. And then when I get out of the tree, I have a re- rappel rope. So just like you see in the action movies where they're jumping down the building, that's exactly how I get out of the tree. Just absolutely. It's probably, yep, exactly. And it's probably the most fun, like I've, I've ever had hunting other than actually hunting. You know, if it's a bad hunt, I always have getting out of the tree to look forward to. So, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that, and that whole system weighs just shy of 10 pounds. And I could, I mean, I could cut that weight probably three and a half pounds if I really wanted to go minimalist, but I like being comfortable. So I'm okay with carrying the extra weight. That's awesome. Um, what about like shooting from a tree stand or saddle? What type of compensation are you doing? Or is it all through your rangefinder? So a lot of it is through a rangefinder anymore. You know, modern rangefinders have a lot of angle compensation. Um, I don't know what terrain is like where you guys are at, but if you ever have anything where you're up above the animals shooting down at them or, you know, whether it be for a crevice or if you stalked up around them, very similar to that. You know, yeah. you're you're aiming a little lower just to compensate for the trajectory of the arrow. I mean, it's it's identical. Basically shooting from any elevated or decline position is the same exact way. You're aim a little low to compensate for the trajectory and you're good to go. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. I, I definitely think that would be a game changer over here. And it's just something that I've been, been interested in. You know, I know one of my mates and past, past guests, he's just got a climber stand, but one thing he didn't take into account is our barks are quite slippery compared to your, your trees over there. So he's had some issues with the climbing stand just from the trees being so, <laughs> so slippery. Slick. Yeah. Yeah. So a, a cool thing is for you guys, like you can maximize a saddle setup. If you have somewhere that you can hunt and you can screw steps into a tree or build steps onto a tree or leave steps. I mean, you can maximize a saddle setup where you put up a ladder and put up your platform. And then all you have to carry in is your saddle and you're talking three pounds. Yeah. Like, so for me, we can't screw into trees. I don't leave my stuff on public land here because it comes up missing. I carry my whole setup in and out every time. But if you can leave stuff, I mean, you can truly maximize what a saddle can do. Yeah, so here in South Australia, um, it's it's only private land hunting. So if your property owner is fine with you doing that, you've got no limits on that. Like you can build a tree stand or whatever, leave yeah. it up 365 days, you know. So there's no real limitations on that type of thing. And I don't think there's really any laws on public land in the States that you can hunt on public land when it comes to tree saddles and tree stands because it's just not a common thing here. So, Right. Yeah, yeah for us, it's... Uh, I mean, we go as far as I'm not allowed to trim brush out of trees or anything to make shooting lanes here. Yeah. So that's why... That's, again, kind of back to the fixed blade thing. That's why I like fixed blades because I can't cut brush out of the way to make a clear shooting lane. 
you know, I try to get it as clear as possible, but sometimes you can't see that stick that's the size of a toothpick. Are you all public land hunting there or? Yeah. So for, for me, I'd say it's 99% public land. Last year I did pick up a little private land piece, uh, but it's only 60 acres total. Only 10 acres of that is really huntable. And there's a guy and his son that hunt on it. So I, for the most part, just kind of let them hunt it. Yeah. You know, he's got, he's got a kid out there. It's much more important for me to have him have his child out there and get him involved and love the outdoors than it is for me to hunt a piece of private ground. So I hunt pretty much exclusively public. I do have a buddy that's got some private ground about four hours south of me this year that I'm going to go join him on and we're going to hit it and some public ground around it and stuff like that. But for the most part, yeah, public. Yeah, sweet. So what, what other game apart from Whitetail do you have there? For us here in Illinois, I've got Whitetail and then Small Game. Yeah. You know, the next most popular thing to hunt probably is going to be Ducks. Waterfowl is probably the next most popular thing in the state. And then you've got your Small Game, your Squirrels and your Rabbits, Pheasants, Quail, so Game Birds. Um, that's all around here. Now, if you go, you know the United States as a whole has got a lot of different options. If you go down South, there's wild hogs, which are a blast. I've shot some hogs. Um, if you go West, you can get into black bear and elk and moose. And, you know, if you go up to Alaska, then you can get into caribou and you can get into grizzly bear. And so there's a lot of options all over the country. I'm, I'm pretty fortunate this year. I got to go kill a black bear in Montana. And then I'll do my whitetail hunting here. And, you know, another thing that's kind of interesting is if you go down South to like Texas, you'll get into fallow, you'll get into axis, you can get into some African game. And those animals have been in. Yeah. All that. Exactly. All that up there from Texas. And my, I got my white tail up there from Mexico. So yeah, it's, I've, I've checked out Texas. There's some cool animals down there. You got seeker, you got reds, you got, um, peer Davids, you've got all sorts. Well, and, and those animals have been imported for so long that they're, pretty much native at this point yeah if i remember if i remember right axis axis and fallow are now they're not considered native necessarily but they are considered a free roaming game species because there's so many of them yeah. now yeah they've, i've heard different stories about how how far they're they're roaming through like the texas high country and stuff like that hill country sorry um yeah it's, yeah it's it's pretty crazy down there but awesome it's awesome hunting Oh yeah. There's, I mean, I'm supposed to go down to Texas at some point this year also and shoot a bison. I've got a guy that's got a 2,500 acre low fence ranch down there and he's got bison on it. He's got zebra and he's got all kinds of, I mean, it's just, it's like hunting in a zoo almost, which feels really weird, but there's still, I mean, 2,500 acres isn't small. No, They're still wild animals. That definitely is. So let's jump back a little bit. How did you get into hunting? Uh, my story is kind of interesting. I think I don't, I've talked to a lot of people about this because it's a fun subject and I don't get a lot of my similar story. My hunting story started, uh, 13 years old, Sunday morning, bowl of cereal in my lap, flipping through TV channels, looking for cartoons. And I came on a channel where there's a deer on the screen and nature's always kind of been interesting to me. So I thought it was like a nature documentary. I'm like, oh, cool. I'll watch this. Like, I can do this while I'm eating breakfast. And then they shoot the deer and the deer runs off and dies. And I'm like, what the hell is going on? Yeah. So it was an episode of a TV show called The Fitzgeralds. Uh, they're, they were, I don't, they're not super popular anymore, unfortunately, but 
just a family hunting show. You know, they shot the deer, they got out of the stand, they were all excited and happy. I'm like, that looks like a blast. I went to my parents' bedroom, was like, I want a bow for Christmas. I want to start bow hunting. And that's my story. I saw it on TV and was like, yep, I have to try that. Nobody in my family bow hunted. Nobody was a deer hunter. You know, it's not a generational thing passed down. Once I got a bow in my hand, it became an obsession. That's I had awesome. to be, I had to be good at it. Like I had to figure it out. I had to learn. And then once I kind of figured it out and learned, then I was like, I have to do this for a living. That's, that's sweet. so <clears throat> I looked into a TV show. I was 16, hundred thousand dollars for six months to air a TV show at the time. Not as a 16 year old, uh, definitely not a rich guy. So then I turned to YouTube and at 16, I had my first YouTube channel and then it's kind of progressed. I've got the channel that I'm on now has been up for 11 years, you know, and it's, I wish I would have taken it very seriously. All of those 11 years. I didn't, you know, young guy, 18, 19 year old guy running around YouTube videos are not what you're thinking about. Uh, there's some other things going on. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's kind of my story though, is it's just, I found it when I was young, you know, I, one thing that, that kind of plays into that is as a young guy, I struggled a lot with mental health. Um, I had, I have, I have clinical depression. Like my brain is not wired properly. And at 13 years old, I was going through a lot of stuff and had no idea what was going on. I'm a 13 year old kid, yeah. you know, and that's nothing begrudgingly to my parents. I'm sure, you know, how do you know? When it's, when it's a 13 year old kid and they don't communicate, you just, you can't know. So going through all that stuff, finding archery was kind of my out. It was my outlet to get away from that and to focus on something else. And I really think that's a big factor of me falling in love with it so deeply. Yeah. It's, uh, that seems to be a common, um, subject on this podcast is how, how, um, getting outdoors, you know, helps people who are battling with mental health issues. Um, you know, the, podcast that i just just recorded just then just before we jumped on you know he had a very similar thing you know just saying how how it helps his mental mental health quite a bit so yeah it's it's awesome to hear um how long did it take you to get your first um animal with a bow when you first started kicking over six years six years wow six years yeah i mean i went my, the bow my parents bought me, they had no idea. It was just a Walmart bow. So at 13 years old, I was shooting a 30-inch draw at 70 pounds. I can tell you, I shoot a 28-inch draw now at 70 pounds <laughs> at 30 years old. Um, at 13, I was probably five foot four, five foot two. Like I was a little dude, maybe 110 pounds soaking wet. I had no, no reason to be shooting 30 inches or 70 pounds. Yeah. I mean, it took me it probably took me a month and a half of trying to draw that bow every single night before I could actually get it back the first time. <laughs> so, you know, having no idea. And then I, <clears throat> I progressively learned over time. Just, I realized that I, I got to be doing something wrong. I mean, I'm talking the first time I went hunting, I had a prong rest with no sights. I was shooting fingers. I had old aluminum arrows that a guy my dad worked with gave him to give me. They were all bent. I had different broadheads on there. Like, I had no idea what I was doing. So, I realized that, like, I got to be doing something wrong. So, I got everything I could get my hands on, every video I could watch, every article I could read, progressively learned how to tune a bow, how to adjust settings. 
And it took me six years to really get the boat dialed in where I was accurate enough to hunt and to learn how to hunt properly to get an animal in front of me. And then on that six, on that six year, yeah, I capitalized. I shot a doe, you know, she ran 50 yards. I made a really good shot on her. Um, It was, I mean, at that point it was definitely game over, you know, up to that point, it was just like, I'm obsessed with the gear and shooting. Once I shot that first deer, it was an addiction that I'll never get rid of. And how did you go with the uh, butchering skinning side of things with that first deer, not having any, any background before that? Struggling. Uh, (laughs) I found it. I took it over to my grandparents' house. They lived down the road. At that time I had some private ground to hunt and we hung it in a tree and my dad and myself took probably seven and a half hours, if I had to guess, six six to seven and a half hours to butcher this deer and kind of really figure it out. Because I had no, and I mean, I'm I'm going inside and getting on my grandparents' computer and looking up YouTube videos. Because back then, YouTube was the wild west, and you could put anything up. Yeah, we were. It's like how to how to butcher a deer, and like so I'm watching five minutes of this video and running outside and like doing it and talking my dad through it and. Yeah, so it, it was a long process. Now it does not take me nearly as long, but it, you know, I just I gritted my teeth and figured it out, and that's kind of my entire story with archery and hunting: is grit your teeth and figure it out. So nowadays, do you only bow hunt, or do you rifle hunt as well, and take advantage of all your different seasons across, across <coughs> the states? There. So I, I would, I'm primarily a bow hunter. Like for me to travel out of state and hunt, I have zero interest in taking a rifle. Yeah. just doesn't do anything for me. Uh, I look at bow hunting as something to go out and do and enjoy. And if I never shoot an animal, I still love every minute of it. And it's the challenge. And there's so much more to bow hunting. I do still rifle hunt though. Um, in Illinois, we just got straight wall cartridge rifles. We can't use a standard like rifle cartridge. Yeah. So, and then because I'm on public land, we have to draw tags. Yeah. So if I don't draw a gun tag, that's fine. That just means I get a few days of break during bow season because I hunt a lot and I hunt hard. So this year I drew gun tags. And usually when I draw gun tags, me and a buddy or a couple of buddies go together. So we'll go out and we'll have basically a guy's weekend where we take the guns out and we hunt. And to me, you know, it's a grocery getter to me. That's like going to Walmart and buying some beef. Yeah. That's how I look at a gun. And what you type know, of that's... rifle are you running? So I just, I actually just bought a new rifle two days ago. Uh, it's a CBA Scout. It's a single shot rifle because that's a requirement for Illinois. And then it's a 350 Legend. It's okay. a straight wall cartridge, yep. which is again a requirement for Illinois. So that's what I'm running this year. You know, that's it's all new to me, but I kind of did some research and 350 Legend checks all the boxes that I wanted. It's a 200 yard and end rifle on deer size game. You know, it doesn't have a ton of recoil, which I'm not recoil adverse. I usually shoot a muzzle loader, but if I don't have to shoot something that's going to beat me up, why would I? Yeah, exactly. And uh, I'll just, I'll throw, I've got a four to 16 by 44 scope laying around the house. I'll just throw it on there and that'll be what I take out in the woods. Yeah, beautiful. Um, so just compound bows or you you play around with recurves and long bows too? Or? So I, compound is my number one, has been for a long time. And I've had a traditional bow recurve for, oh, probably five or six years now. I've never taken it seriously. I have actually picked it up about a week and a half ago and started taking it seriously and really trying to learn how to shoot one. And that is, I shoot my recurve every single day. I don't shoot my compound every day. 
I could pick up my compound at any point and drop an arrow at 60 yards and feel confident taking out in the woods and shooting anything 40 it in. So the compound to me is like the trad guys love the term training wheels, but it kind of fits. Yeah. Because as long as, as long as your tuning's not messed up, as long as your bow's not changed, as long as you're keeping up with it regularly, if you're an experienced shooter, you can pick your compound up and, you know, in five arrows be dropping dimes like you're used to. Yeah. You're not doing that with a recurve. No. Guys that guys that shoot recurve for 40 years can maybe do that. Guys like me, no chance. Yeah, I'm I'm the same. No I'll, I'll I'll get into it for a bit and then I'll just go straight back to the compound, you know. It's <laughs> I'm I'm a compound cowboy, that's for sure. Well, the, the time dedication is what's hard for me. You know, I don't have a ton of free time. And like I said, I shoot every day, but that may be me going out and shooting five arrows. Yeah. But at least I went out and shot. So I'm really, really trying hard this year to get my effective range to 30 yards. And I, I want to take it out and shoot something. It's been a goal for a long, long time to shoot something with a traditional setup. I'm going to try to get it done this year. Yeah, I, I really would love to get a you know, even a fallow doe or a spike with the, um, with the trad gear. I reckon the only way that that's going to happen for me is, um, getting into a tree stand or a saddle saddle set up. I reckon that'd be my, my one, especially where I hunt and how thick it is. That's going to be the only way, you know, I've taken a couple of goats with trad gear. Um, you know, I do a lot of bow fishing over summer here. So, you know, I swap between the, the recurve and the, the compound on that so you know i've taken a fair few fish with it but yeah uh, if i shoot a doe i'll put put the recurve down and be like yep that's it that's me done (laughs) and kind of give guys crap that are gun hunters um a gun hunter you know i'm like ah you know they shoot a 150 inch buck with a gun and i'm like that's that's cool it doesn't do anything for me they shoot 150 inch buck with a bow a compound i'm like that's sweet but I, I kind of always make the joke that if it's a public lane 150 inch, you add 20 inches to the score because it's that much harder. And then if it's a <laughs> traditional bow 150 inch, you add 40 inches because it's that much harder. So, yeah, no, I, I, I kind of I got into the the real, you know, I'm just just bow hunting. I'm not rifle hunting, you know. And then you know, I got a family, I got kids. I got more into the rifle hunting because I can pick up the rifle and go out, you know just due yep. to not having that much time. Um, but yeah, you know, these days I'm like, yeah, I love all forms of hunting, whether it's, you know, recurve bow, you know, if, you know, picking up a spear and doing it Tim Wells style was legal over here, you know, <laughs> yeah. I'd, 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 I'd be dabbling in that too. <laughs> sure. Yeah. And I mean, that's, that's the way I look at it. You know, it's, I, like I said, to me, gun hunting is grocery getting. That doesn't mean I don't love my time in the woods with it. You know, that's, and I get that there's some guys that that's all they got. There's some guys that are busier than I am that they have. We have a seven day gun season. They've got those seven days and that's all they can get. Yeah. that's More it. power to you, man. Get out in the woods. That's uh, all I care about. I let far more stuff walk when I have my rifle with me than when I have a bow. You know, I see something with a bow. I'm going to go stalk in on it. But, you know, with a rifle, it's just like, oh, no, I don't feel like taking that today. It's just nice watching them. Yeah, so that's kind of how I am. Does are much more in trouble when I have a rifle in my hand than bucks are. You know, a, a an eight pointer that maybe 110 inch, 120 inch buck with my bow, 
that's a dead deer. Like I'm going to shoot it with a rifle. I'm going to watch it walk by, like let it go enjoy its life. But the first doe that comes out, as long as, as long as she doesn't have a fawn with her game over. Yeah. Like, like I said, it's my grocery getter. That's it. That's it. What would be, cause you're relatively new getting into you know, hunting. What's what? 17 ish years. Give or take. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Right around there. So getting into hunting, you know, mid-teens with no, you know, real role models that hunted around you, what would be your top beginner tip for someone getting into hunting in their teenage years? Don't give up. That's the biggest thing, man, because it's daunting. And the unfortunate, and I am, I mean, I'm guilty of this, this what I'm about to cover too, but the reality is if you get on YouTube, most of the guys that are really putting out content that you're going to see have a $2,000 bow set up and they're shooting the highest end equipment. And, you know, and I'm guilty of that too. I've got the super nice high end bow set up and all the nice equipment. Um, but that's not necessary. You know, it, and it's daunting. There's a lot of money in it. And people, I get a lot of guys that are new. They're like, I'd love to start bow hunting, but it's a rich man's sport. Like it's, I am not rich, dude. <laughs> Let me, so, you know, you can get, there's a company called uh, San Lita Archery. They make a bow called the Dragon X8. It's $199 on Amazon. Okay, yep. 200 bucks. The only thing you really need to replace in that whole setup is the arrows. The arrows in it aren't great. Most people are probably going to be too heavy poundage, too long draw length for that light of spine. But everything else is perfectly usable. So for, we'll say, 260 bucks, you can be in the woods. 300 with broadheads you know, 260 bucks, you can be shooting. Yeah. Beautiful. It's, it's, it doesn't have to be your, and I mean, to take that a step further, go to a garage sale and pick up a bow for 50 bucks. You know, there's options out there. And if you look at it and say it's too expensive and give up, you're never going to get to experience what an amazing experience it is. I mean, you're never going to get to see how awesome it is. And you're going to miss out on something super special. Yeah, that's it. Um, going back onto that, you know, getting into it's daunting, you know, with all the gear, what would be your top five beginner items? So someone getting into it, what would be the top five things that you'd recommend them to go get apart from a gun or a bow? So that's an interesting question. I don't think I've ever been asked that. That's a good one. So the, the biggest thing is going to be clothes that are suited for the environment you're hunting and that doesn't mean going and spending you know fifteen hundred dollars for a jacket from sitka you can go to walmart or your local department store and you can buy yourself some clothes that'll do just fine uh, i am a guy that recommends camouflage i think it has a purpose and there's a reason behind it but i'm not pattern specific so you know go to walmart and pick you up a 30 dollar coat and some 30 dollar pants just to get some camouflage going. Um, I think the one thing that's kind of more, it's not pricey overall, but for that item is socks. A really, really good pair of Merino wool socks or a couple of them that are like $25, $30 socks are going to make your experience in the woods a million times better. Buy some really, really good socks. You know, depending on the style of hunting you're doing, like for you guys that are walking around or Western guys, boots, a good pair of boots makes all the difference in the world. You know, if you're a tree stand guy or you're hunting in the Midwest where you're not doing as much hiking, go out and buy you a pair of $30 cheap rubber boots because you're wanting to keep scent down. 
you know, you're, you have less mobility to get around an animal with scent stuff. So you utilize some rubber boots to keep your scent down. Um, probably a cheap backpack. That way you can keep all your stuff together, you know, and that's, I mean, that's really it. You don't, and you don't have to have any of that stuff really. I mean, you can go out in blue jeans and a, in a plaid coat. I mean, you can go out in blue jeans and a brown coat. Yeah, you don't exactly. have to have any of those things. Those are just kind of quality of life things that are going to make your world a little bit better. Yeah, that's it. Whether it's comfort or, you know, warmth or, you know, just general camouflage, you know. You can, you know, I've I've shot goats wearing bright pink shorts and singlets, you know. It's yep. <laughs> barefoot shorts and singlet, you know. It just depends on, you know, whether the wind's in your favor, you know, all of that all of those things. Um, but yeah, that's, that's some good ones. I, I don't think on that question, we've had too many people answer, um, clothes and stuff like that. Usually it's binoculars. Um, socks are a good one that that's one that hasn't been touched on a whole heap. So that's, that's good. You know, I get a lot of, um, newer guys coming into hunting, listening to this podcast. So I try and cover, you know, a bit of everything for everyone. So guys that are just getting in, they, you know, because it's a daunting thing if they don't know people that hunt, you know, they're seeing all these guys, like you were saying, with the top-of-the-line gear, you know, mm-hmm. they're, they're spending thousands of dollars on bows or rifles, they're spending thousands of dollars on camouflage, they're spending, you know, a thousand bucks on boots, you know, it's yep. it's it can be quite daunting for someone getting into it, so. Yeah, you know, binos are, that's a good one I didn't think about, but the style of hunting I do, I didn't, I didn't actually start carrying binoculars with me consistently until probably five years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's one of my biggest things is glass. Cause you know, without, without it, you're not seeing too much, you know, it increases your, sure. your odds, especially over here, spot and stalk hunting. It's something that's really, really needed. Um, yeah. If you can't find the animal, you can't hunt it. Exactly. Exactly. Bit of a fun, silly one. Zombie apocalypse weapon. What are you going? Okay, so I've thought about this a lot, and I'm conflicted for a couple reasons. Being the archery guy that I am, I really want to say recurve bow because recurve a recurve bow has the ability. I can go cut a stick off a tree and make arrows for a recurve bow. Like the ammo options are endless and depending on what point you have on the front, you've got a ton of options for like food procurement or defense or, you know, anything like that. And it's quiet. So in a zombie apocalypse scenario, zombies aren't your only concern. There's going to be groups of other people. Not all of them are going to be friendly being able to hunt and procure, procure food, um, you know, defend yourself if necessary in a quiet nature where it's harder to find you is pretty freaking significant. 100%. With with that said, I also lean towards a single shot 12 gauge shotgun. And the reason I say single shot is because with a good single shot 12 gauge, you can also treat it like a muzzle loader. So, again, you're opening up a lot of ammo abilities. Every country across the planet utilizes a 12 gauge shotgun. You know, that's it's not like rifle calibers. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, slugs are great for longer range, you know, whether it's food procurement or it's defensive purposes and then bird shot for smaller game or defensive purposes, or, you know, there's a lot of ammo options as well that you can shoot that you can make use of in different scenarios, as long as you're aware of capabilities. 
So those are those are where I lean, and in a perfect world, I'll have both. That's, but that's I, a good answer. That's for sure. That's it's definitely different to you know most people go to the semi-automatics, automatics, a edged weapon, you know, crossbow, Daryl Dixon style. So yeah, it's, yeah, it's good to hear something a little bit different. You know, AA twelve. Some people, you know, big drum magazines. So hearing yeah. someone say, you know, a single shot twelve gauge is is definitely different. So I, I kind of approach it from a different scenario. I think like, I'm not going to be the guy that's out mowing down zombies. I want to be the guy that survives. <laughs> and when you're putting yourself in danger, you don't be that guy for very long. Yeah. I would much rather be the guy that stays low key, make sure, make sure that I'm fed, like the people that I'm with are taken care of and just ride it out and build over time, be smart about things. Like I said, it's something I've thought about probably way too much. <laughs> yes, don't worry. So have I. I, I know where I'm yeah. going. I know what I'm doing. If it if it ever hits off, you know, we were so close yeah, with COVID. me too. We were so close with COVID and I was so upset that we didn't get zombies. <laughs> yeah. yeah, every time there's a new something somewhere on the planet, I'm like, zombies? It never zombies. It's it's awful. It's like back in the day with the bath salts when that guy ate the other guy's face off and they they put multiple rounds in him to stop him. I'm like, come on, I'm in school. I'm like, yes, it's, it's starting. It's starting. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. Good old Florida. <laughs> so uh, not much luck, unfortunately. Uh, speaking of other funny things, what have you forgotten on a hunting trip? The number one thing I think everybody forgets and probably the typical answer is release. You know, um, the worst thing for me though, is not a release. I don't do it anymore, but I used to practice with my compound bow with fingers so I could still hunt if I forgot my release. And now I carry an extra release in my pack separate from my normal one. Uh, The worst thing in the worst thing in the world to forget is, is toilet paper or wet wipes or a shovel to dig the hole. Like those are the worst things. Those are the worst things in the world because when you got to go, you got to go. And man, sometimes I'm not near a bathroom. (laughs) So that's the worst thing in the world for me. Yeah. Or snacks. Yep. Snacks are, snacks are a big one, but yeah, toilet papers, definitely a, um, definitely a big one. That's something I make sure I have in my pack all the time because you know, there's been a few hunts there where, you know, you're coming back with one sock. <laughs> yeah, and that's not socks the socks I wear are too expensive, first off. And second off, it's not any fun walking with one sock on, one sock off. <laughs> it isn't. So yeah, you learn pretty quick to take toilet paper. So yeah. going from that, would that be the most important thing you take out when you're out hunting, or what would be the most important thing you take with you? Uh, no, I think probably, honestly, my most important thing is my cell phone. And, and that's not even from like a, something to do in the stand perspective. It's from a safety perspective. You know, that's, I'm fortunate where I hunt, I've got pretty decent cell service. So, and I hunt solo a lot. Even when I go with buddies, we kind of all go our separate ways. So being able to have contact with the outside world, if something bad were to happen is invaluable. You know, if I didn't have cell service, I would say GPS and something that has the ability to text or to call emergency services or, you know, safety is number one. Are you an iPhone guy or an Android guy? Android. Android. So iPhones have just released. I just covered this on the last episode I just done. Um, iPhones have released uh, almost like a, um, 
an emergency beacons beacon setting setting so if, if you've got satellites you can access that so you don't need phone signal to um operate that which is quite handy for people you know carry your phone so, you've got a, an emergency yeah. beacon with you nowadays that's awesome um android has android does similar except it's just a case of like when you have no service you can call emergency services and they utilize satellites to get that done here's the thing though you know that emergency beacon and being able to hit a button and turn it on is great because what happens if you fall and pass out? Like for me, I'm climbing in a tree. If I fall 15 feet and I hit my head and it's the last thing I can do with the little bit of consciousness I have is hit that button. That's huge. Yeah. Hitting that call button. I'm not going to be able to interact with oh, whoever's on, on the just, other end of that phone. Just one second, mate. Sorry. All right, sorry about that. The uh, beauty of having kids no, is just, just woken up must have had a bad dream or something. Um, where were we up to? <laughs> I think we were going uh, going off of our most important thing. You were talking about uh, tree stand hunting and if you fell off and um, lost consciousness. Emergency devices. Yeah, emergency devices, man. Just, you know, I was talking about with Android, it's a call versus just in a beacon. And I'm sure they could probably trace the call, but how much longer does that take? Yeah, you know, exactly. I don't, I don't know. I don't know, but I'm guessing it's longer than just that beacon. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then, yeah, the, if you lose consciousness, that's another, another big thing about it. Talking about, you know, danger, what's the most dangerous or sketchy thing that's happened while you've been, been out hunting? Uh, there, there's three stories that really stick out. Um, the first one was my very first time hunting public land. And it, it pushed me, like, it pushed me away from public land for a long time. But this is right when I first started hunting. I went out to some local public land. And as I'm walking in on this, it's a main trail that walks back into the woods. I mean, it's right off the parking lot. I hear a metallic clang, like a, you know, and I happen to look up. And there's a guy in his tree stand that has drawn his bow back on me. Yeah, wow. It is dark outside still to a point where you can't like the reason I saw him is because I turned and looked up and turned on my headlamp. Oh, wow. Like I saw I was very upset yelling and screaming and cussing at the guy. And I'm 200 yards from the parking lot, which I'm sure just made everybody else happy. Um, The guy is like, you can tell visibly he's freaking out. I leave, I turn around and walked out. When I walked out, there was a game and fish officer out there. And he's like, who is yelling? Like, that was me. I explained everything that happened. Off he went down the trail after the guy. I don't know the end of that story. Uh, yeah. But that, that kept me from hunting public land for a lot of years. Probably the first seven years I hunted, I hunted private. And I wouldn't touch public after that. And then uh, the next one actually didn't happen to me it happened to a buddy of mine we were moving tree stands from one tree to the other and that the particular tree we were in we had set up on the bank of an old dried creek so we were six foot up plus another probably 22 foot up in this tree and it was dark and he's taken down stands so we can move him and he pulled the strap for the stand he's on and it fell out from under him yeah well he grabbed the seat but he's dangling you know, 28 foot up in the air, basically. And I have no way to help him. I'm on the ground, you know, bringing stuff down as he's passing it down to me. So I just stuck my arms out like I'm going to catch you. 
I'm not going to catch a 200 pound guy falling 28 foot. It's just not going to happen. So, uh, fortunately in that aspect and, and after the situation, it, it kind of clicked, but he was wearing a, sta- a tree stand harness. But in the moment, like I'm just seeing my buddy dangling from a tree, you know, it doesn't click that like he's with, with all intents and purposes safe, but I climbed back up the tree and help him like get around and do that. Um, and then the third thing was there's the public land that I hunt the most. There's a log that I like to cross to get to the other side of a Creek that most people won't get to, to kind of get me away from the, the competition. And, uh, I went out there after a heavy rain one time and I had crossed this log, you know, hundred times, never thought about it. And it, you know, it's probably a seven foot fall down into the Creek. The Creek's probably three or four foot deep. It's not like crazy, but I stepped on the log and about halfway across, I slipped and fell in the water. It's uh the fall itself didn't feel great, but I wouldn't consider that dangerous. The dangerous part was being soaked head to toe and it's, you know, 37 degrees outside. So the, the cold aspect, um, and I mean, I climbed out of the Creek and it, it took me a while to really decide whether or not I go back to my truck and go home yeah. or hunt. And I ended up going home and it's probably the right decision, but the fall, the fall, there not necessarily dangerous. Although when you have, you know, metal tree stand steps and stuff like that on your back, it's hard telling what could happen. It's just the cold aspect is probably the more dangerous thing there. And that's, to me, that's the least of all the three. The, the first one is probably my scariest experience. Yeah, that would that would definitely freak the hell out of you, that's for sure. What about lightening it up a bit? What's the funniest thing that's happened to you while you've been out hunting? Probably. Hmm. Probably on public land, especially when I first started, I didn't walk that far back, so I was always dealing with other people. Going and getting up in a in my climber up above a guy, and then he comes in, comes fumbling in just before you know daybreak. He stops and decides to pee on my tree, <laughs> like he's he is literally taking a piss underneath me. And I'm kind of minding my own business, and he finishes up, and uh, I look down. I'm like, just so you know, I marked that tree first. I thought that dude was gonna shit his pants. <laughs> No, and I mean that's super common, man. If you get above the the line of eyesight for people, most people don't look up. But just watching him jump out of his skin, and he's he's standing there and he's breathing heavy and stuff like that, and you know I'm laughing, but I'm apologizing, and it it's just that's probably the most funny thing. Either that or coming out, either that or going hunting with one of my buddies, and and he comes out of the woods and his pants, like the right leg of his pants, are now shorts but the left leg is still long. I'm like, what in the world? So I didn't have any toilet paper. I was like, use a sock. I didn't think of that. <laughs> yeah, so he no. cut a pant leg off his pants. Yep. Now I've had, yeah. I've had mates that have done that as well. That's hilarious. What about top five dream animals? If you unlimited money anywhere in the world, where would you go? What would you hunt? Uh, number one dream animal for me has always been Yukon moose. And that goes back to a TV show I watched forever ago where a moose charged a guy and knocked him over. Um, and then he shot it like when it knocked him over, but just the adrenaline of an animal that size being that close got me hooked. I want to do that. Um, number two, New Zealand red stag. I think a lot of it is because the country is beautiful. I mean, New Zealand is a special, special place It is on video. 
I can't imagine in person. So that's, that's pretty bad. Odds. That's my number. Yeah. 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 He would know. Um, my number three is probably, probably a water Buffalo or something, you know, something along those lines. I'm, I'm kind of really fond of, of danger. Like, the, the exciting adventure aspect of going after something that is a legitimately dangerous animal. I mean, moose, people don't give moose enough credit, dude, but moose are, moose is the only Western animal that really scares me. Yeah. Grizzly bears don't bother me. Um, not nearly as much as a moose. If you, so if you want true danger, skip the water Buffalo. Cause they tend to be like, you know, they, they false charge quite a bit. It's scrub bulls is what you want is the wild cattle the wild bulls they're the true dangerous okay. ones up in the the top end of australia yeah so that like that would be totally up my alley i didn't even know that was a thing i know hawaii has wild cows that are dangerous as hell yeah but uh i didn't realize you guys had that there so and that's the other end of these hunts too right i want to travel to new places and see wild things yeah because um, you know hippo is probably my number four and that's again that's a very dangerous yes. animal responsible for more deaths than any other animal in Africa yep. every year. Um, they are territorial. They are mean, but again, it's a wild area. And then my fifth is probably, probably like a chamois or something, some species. I don't really have a specific, but some species of, of mountain goat where it's a really tough hunt and a really remote area. And I mean, sheep, you know, like a doll sheep or something could fit in there too. Just again, for the adventure aspect and the, the danger aspect of the terrain at that point. Yeah. Chamois, Himalayan tar, they're all New Zealand. You'll be able to cross a few of them off. It's, it's an insane place over there and you'll get your dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. No joke. That place is, man, like I said, it's special on a TV show or in pictures. I can't imagine in person. Oh, it's, it's, it's breathtaking. It's insane. It's breathtaking in more ways than one. Is you're str- you're constantly struggling for breath while you're walking up those hills. <laughs> I know yeah. how I was. <laughs> what about favorite thing to cook with wild wild meat? As far as like a recipe, or as far yeah. as just like side dishes, or what? What's your go-to favorite thing to cook when you when you shoot something? Okay, so I'm pretty purist when it comes to to meat in general, like for a, for a beef steak, I'm just a salt and pepper guy. So for me, like a backstrap cut up and just grilled is perfect. Like that's to me, that is the end all be all. I don't need a fancy recipe. I don't need like a backstrap that's cut good and thick and grilled to, you know, the perfect level of doneness with just some like, you know, a baked potato and some green beans, just a very simple, very straightforward because I truly enjoy the meat. Yeah. Also, you know, like I shot a wild hog a few years back. I did pulled pork with that. It's fantastic. With my bear, um, I took it to a buddy of mine who's a fantastic chef, and he did a uh, chili chili rub on the backstrap with a huckleberry reduction glaze, and like he fancied it up, and it was unbelievable. You know, so I I like a lot of things. I mean, I like food in general, but Don't wait, but for wild game, man, yeah, for wild game, man, I'm a purist. Like just a I'm I'm just as happy with a just a, a cut of backstrap or just a cut of steak off a off a ham or you know keep it simple. Yeah. I like the simplicity, you know. With and I mean game, I guess it differs too. Waterfowl, I like making tacos. 
um, you know, pheasants. I like to make uh, pheasant soup, like chicken and noodle soup, but with pheasant. Um, dove and quail, I like to wrap those in bacon with jalapeno. So, I mean, it, it differs a little bit, but as far as big game goes, man, I'm, I really want to taste just the meat. Yeah. First off, to see if it's something I'm cons- I want to cons- continue to pursue. But I just I like the pure, straight up, simplistic aspect. Yeah, man, that's that's one of the the best ways about it. At times, just a little bit of salt, just to en- enhance that flavor, and yeah, it's it's definitely a great way to have it. How do you see the public views on hunting and hunters? I I was you told me about this before we started the podcast. I'm excited about this because I'm curious about what it is for you guys there, because for here it's very very interesting. Everybody like obviously you're going to surround yourself with people that are like minded. So for me, everybody that I talk to for the most part is a hunter or pro hunting or at least doesn't have a problem with it. So the perspective that I get personally from the people around me is it's great and everybody loves it and they think it's a good thing. I, however, know that that's not the case and that most of our major metropolitan areas are primarily filled with people that either A, don't have an opinion or B, are very anti-hunting because they think it's murder. Yeah. Um, the public perception is... <sighs> I would say probably net net neutral just because of the amount of pro hunters versus anti hunters. And there's more antis than pros. I know that for a fact there's more anti hunters than there are pro hunters, but I think the, there's a lot of neutral that don't really care or could be persuaded one way or the other. That's why I think it's very important the way it's portrayed on TV, on social media, on, you know, any platform where eyes can be seen you know, in pictures, it needs to be portrayed in a positive light. And we need to be educating about why it's important. Because if we aren't, those people that are in that neutral ground are going to go the opposite direction. And the last thing we need is more anti-hunters. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, no, over here, hunting isn't a massive, a massive thing, especially around our, our cities and that, um, you know, hunting's constantly under threat. Everything we hunt here is an introduced species, so our government's plan, we don't have management plans, we have eradication plans. So, you know, in my state at the moment, we're battling with heliculling, so they're going around, like the pigs in Texas, but they're doing it with Uh deer and goats and everything. You know, they're shooting six, seven hundred deer at a time when they go out, you know. Um, with shotguns out of the helicopter, you know, people are finding wounded ones and, you know, all this nasty stuff that we won't go into now. All the <laughs> all the normal <laughs> listeners will be like, yeah, I, I know what Zach's on about here. Um, so, yeah, we're constantly battling as hunters because, you know, majority of Australians aren't hunters or have no interest in hunting or don't want animals to be killed yet. You know, the government's going to do it anyway, either way. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you break it down to the food aspect sides and you actually have a conversation with someone, majority of the times they're pr- for the pro food side of things, which is always good. But, you know, if I took a microphone into the city of Adelaide where I am here, um, you know, it would probably be seven out of ten people uh, anti-hunting, you know if I just pick randoms off the street, you know, 
Um, so it's 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 pretty hard over here because we're constantly battling those things. You know, we've got no public land hunting here for those reasons. Only on you know they're trying to ban bow hunting at the moment in South Australia. We've been battling that for the last you know uh, two two-ish years now. So yeah, that's and that's insanity to me. I mean, the one thing I will say that's super nice is because we have government programs that are part like hunting is part of management for us in every state. Um, there are some states that are stupid and via pressure from anti hunters are like canceling certain seasons. New Jersey is a prime example. They canceled their black bear season um, for two years. It's an, it's another one, man. Um, New Jersey canceled their black bear season for two years. And then a lady and her child were mauled to death by a black bear in their backyard and then it was like, oh, we should we should probably do something about managing this. And and that's the thing. That's the thing that upsets me about like the heli hunting or we have even sharpshooters here. Like our state will hire sharpshooters to go into a park that's not hunted and kill off of a bunch of deer because the population needs eradicated. In my mind, it makes more sense to do a limited draw where people pay to enter. And it's non-refundable, 20 bucks. If you get drawn, you get to go out and you have to shoot animals. If you don't get drawn, then better luck next year. But that $20 is money back into conservation. It makes sense. I live in probably the greediest state in the United States because we're so broke and politicians like to steal. Um, it doesn't make sense to me that they're not going to do something to make money. Yeah, like that's, That doesn't logic to me. You know, we have a park. I have a park seven miles eight miles from my house the deer population is ridiculous it's getting to the point where deer look sickly in the summer because there's just there's too much there's too much going on the more dense the population the higher problem you have with transmission of diseases and things like that and i guarantee they'll hire sharpshooters to go into that park and kill those deer before they'll do just a bow hunting limited quota draw to send people in there and, and shoot them which is ridiculous. It's the same here. People would pay to shoot these animals on public land and be able to utilize these these animals for their meat. Um, yet we're paying seventy thousand plus every time a helicopter goes up to shoot. You know, anywhere from a hundred deer or seven hundred deer, whatever. You know, there's rumors that they fudged the numbers. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, it's um, it's you know, they could make money and have people removing these animals rather than spending taxpayers' money. So do they leave those animals for dead? Yep. Leave them for dead. Let them rot. Builds up the introduced yeah. fox species, like the fox numbers, builds up the the feral cat numbers, builds up in the areas where we have wild dogs, it builds up their numbers. So that See, and that, that's what pisses me off about it more than anything because sharpshooters here... They gather up the deer, but they just get dumped in a landfill. Yeah. So they go to waste. And part of that is because there are certain circumstances where they poison the deer first. And when that doesn't take out the numbers, then they send in the sharpshooters. Yeah, we poison them here too. They're having big issues in Victoria. And what kills me is you'll get people that are anti-hunting because it's cruel, but they don't say a word about them poisoning animals or chasing them around with helicopters, putting them under an immense amount of stress and then killing them. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 ridiculous, and it makes makes most hunters over here pretty pretty upset. 
Same here. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> and the wastage, the meat wastage. You know, we've got no wanton waste laws here, so it's you know, if you want to hunt and you know you're pest controlling for a farmer, you're going out and spotlighting deer, and you know, people let them rot. I I don't tend to, you know, unless it's like a sickly deer, but um, right. I I try and use everything I can that you can yep. eat, you know, you're not going to eat a fox or you're not going to eat a feral cat or um, sure. those types <clears throat> of things. But yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty sad, you know, especially when Adelaide's got a, you know, a decent homeless population, you know, you could, you could take these deer and feed the homeless or whatnot, you know, struggling families. Yep. It's And that's, so that's the overarching frustrating thing for me. And it sounds like it's very similar to you is exactly what you just said. You know, we have a, a, like the United States is not without their homeless, without their struggling people. That is a lot of free protein going to waste that you could take and donate to a a shelter. You could donate to whatever to get them processed and feed a lot of people that really need it. And instead you're going to let the animal rot. That's it. And, but it's inhumane to hunt them. Yeah. We got pretty tough country to, you know, if they're shooting them in the scrubby, like thick bush, you're going to have a hard time to retrieve these animals anyway. So there, there is reasons why they can't because it's, it's pretty dense bush, you know, but it, it is also a shame as well. But moving on to a little bit of a lighter note, how would you change the public views on hunters and hunting? Oh, I mean, as a hunter, I, I wish everybody loved it and thought it was great. You know, I mean, I, if, if a hunter says anything besides that, they're out of their mind. There is, there is this little concerted push right now in the United States to depopularize hunting, though. There are, there's a sect of guys that specifically want no public viewership of hunting. They want, like, social media guys like me, they want us all gone because they want it all for them. <laughs> Bingo. He's kind of leading that charge. But it's because they don't want the competition. Yeah. It's because they, they want it all for themselves. Uh, and my response to that is, first off, you're an idiot. If you think hunting is going to survive, if you want it just for yourself, you're out of your damn mind. That's the mentality of one of two people. One, somebody that's completely out of touch with reality. And I mean completely. Or two, somebody that is a rich person that has all their own land to hunt and they don't really care if there's public access or not. Yeah, that's it. That's it. It's, you know, we have a few of those those types here in Australia. You know, hunting's better you know, not seen and not heard about, just done in the background, you know, and that's, those people don't fight, you know, they don't talk that they're hunters, you know, they just, they just do it quietly and, you know, they don't get involved in anything that's going on, so. That's frustrating me, because again, if you think it's going to last, here's the thing they don't, that the people don't seem to, like, conceptualize. If hunting goes away, then your private land hunting goes away also. It's not just public land. You need people. You need hunter recruitment. You need good education. You know, I wish, like you asked, I wish the perception would change to be completely positive. And I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility to get most people to have a positive view on hunting. I think we just really need to focus on education and why we do things. I've also learned that there are a lot of reasons why people hunt. 
if we can tap into all of those specific reasons, you can attract a lot of new people. You know, some people do it for the family tradition aspect. I have friends that they only hunt when they're going out with their family or their favorite hunt every year is when, you know, all their brothers and their dad get together. I have friends that are interested in hunting because they like the nutritional value of the wild meat and understand that it's the healthiest way you're going to eat. You know, I have friends like me that are really, we're in it for the adventure. Like we love the adventure. We love the seeing the new things. The meat is fine. You know, um, providing for the family is awesome, but that's where they're at. And then there's guys that are providing for their family and that's what it's all about. So if we can, I think those are not hunting things. They're human things. And I think if we can tap into those human traits and educate based on those human traits, we can grow hunting. We can, we can help protect it further. Yeah, that's it, man. That's it. So what is hunting to you? That's a big question. Um, hunting is, I mean, hunting is everything to me, really. It's the number one passion. It's what I think about when I wake up, when I go to bed. It's how I make my living. I mean, um, it's it's the one thing I attribute to really saving my life in a time when I was going through a lot of personal hell and turmoil and had no idea how to fix it. Um, <laughs> hunting is the reason for a lot of frustrations, you know, along with all of those great things I just covered, you know, it is how I make a living. So if I'm having a slow month, frustrating, you know, and it's stressful, um, you know, even, even down to like a hunt where I botch it and miss on a great animal or don't get an opportunity on the great animal. That is frustrating and heartbreaking. It might be the most painful thing I've ever experienced. Yeah. Um, some, some say it's worse than childbirth, but I can't confirm nor deny, <laughs> but I mean, it's hunting is for me, hunting and bow hunting specifically is just, it's everything. I mean, it is, it is the one thing that is all encompassing in my life that I will never give up under any circumstances. If tomorrow it became illegal, I would become an outlaw. I'm the exact same here, man. I've got, you know, I've got about nine bows behind, behind me. Um, I'm in, in the exact same boat. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I, I couldn't do what I do if I didn't love it so much. I mean, I, I went from working a, a pretty solid job making pretty decent money. Um, and I quit that to work three times as hard for a 10th of the money. And I still get up and do it every day. You know, I don't get the, I don't take days off. I'm a seven day a week, 10 plus hours a day, every single day, nonstop. If I didn't love it as much as I do, I couldn't do it. Yeah, that's it, man. That's it. No, it's, it's definitely great to hear someone with your passion and, you know, we've been trying to tee this up up for a while, so I'm yeah. super, super glad to finally get you on and make our times work. So, yeah, man, it's uh, well. Let's see. I was going to catch you one morning coming home from a mountain archery fest event, and ended up having to run home fast and yeah. missed you. Um, and then the time difference is just tough. And then it's like when I have a free weekend, you've got stuff going on. When you have a free weekend, I, yeah. So this is a long time coming. Yeah, because I think first of all was yeah. Um, my hog deer hunting trip in Victoria and then uh, New Zealand and then recently yep. Thailand. And yeah, it's just <laughs> been yeah, man, I mean, a spastic year. 
Yeah, but those are always the most fun. I mean, I did more traveling this year than I've done, and I can't tell you how long. 20,000 miles. I drove 20,000 miles in the last four months. Insane. So it's, yeah, I mean, it just keeps me on my toes, and it's all part of what I do for a living and my job, Um, you know, and kind of another another thing to touch on about, like, what is hunting to me, and it's not so much what it is, but I'm really passionate about the, the education aspect as well. You know, you said you have a lot of new hunters that watch this show and I have a deep appreciation for that because a lot of my content is tailored to education. Um, for new hunters, I try to do a lot of stuff where I explain things, especially on TikTok. It's such a good platform to interact. So if I get a question, I can pop up a video and explain it. Um, but also just the broadhead reviews. I mean, the reason I'm doing reviews on products in general is because if I can review it, and you don't have to waste your money on it. I win. Yeah. That's the way I view things. You know, yeah. money is not something that everybody has readily available. It's not easy to come by. I still have people that are like, man, I can't afford a $30 pack of broadheads. What do you recommend? Like, I recommend you send me your address because I'll send you some broadheads. Because <laughs> <laughs> there's not there's not a whole lot on the market that's good for less than 30 no. bucks. But it's uh, education is something I'm super passionate about also, just in all aspects. Yeah, same, same. That's uh, uh, I'm I'm learning a lot doing this podcast, chatting to every guest. I learn something different, which is absolutely awesome. And you know, I get some great feedback from listeners. You know, people that just start listening or they've been listening the whole time. Um, it's it's been bloody awesome. But jumping back to a little bit, the hog deer hunt that I went on this year, the hog deer ballot just went live. It is. Um, Sunday the 6th right now, so we're probably two weeks away from this episode airing. Um, if you're interested in hunting hog deer in Victoria, the ballot's open to worldwide, so jump on, enter the ballots, $25 Australian, so maybe it's probably like 15 American. Um, if It's pretty much one of the only wild populations in the world that you can hunt of these hog deers. Um, so it's, it's something for you to check out. Um, you know, if you draw it, you fly over to Australia and you get to hunt Australia for the hardest deer to hunt in Australia. Um, you know, yeah. if there's any American listeners, any of your, your fans out here listening, go check it out go get yourself a ticket. And, um, it's, it would be an adventure of a lifetime if you draw. Something I've always wanted to do is come over and chase fox and feral cats with my bow. Yep. So... I got a feral cat I, right there. That's a, <laughs> that's a beer koozie made from a feral cat, and I got a so hat hanging up above me. That's a made from a feral cat. <laughs> real real quick on feral cats. When I first saw a picture of a guy holding a cat, I was like, "What in the hell?" We don't like we have a feral cat population here, but not like you guys have. There's a good Your chance feral. that that photo was me. Um, I went viral. Uh, a few okay. years back for shooting feral cats with the bow and um, I got a lot of hate from it from the states um, you know I had people like Ted Nugent jump out and support me and you know yeah. all sorts of all sorts of people so there's a good chance that that photo that you're seeing it's, was me it's, it's very <laughs> possible but at first I was like what in the hell so I did some research your guys's feral cat population is ridiculous yeah and they are killing everything but you guys Native. are having the same issues over there, but you're just not able to deal with it like we do. You just have to shush and, and do it, you know, sweep it under the rug. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, 
but I always thought, I'm like, you know, that's such a different animal to like go over and chase. And same with Fox. I watched a video a while ago from guys calling in foxes on the back of a truck and shooting them with their bow. I'm like, yep, that looks like a freaking blast. So that's always something I've wanted to do on top of all the other big game species over there that I, of course, want to chase. And Yeah, we've got camels you can hunt we've got uh, donkeys we've got wild horses we've got wild cattle pigs goats cats dogs you name it (laughs) yeah it's a bow hunter's playground really it is it is so it'd be definitely a shame if it gets banned over here but i really appreciate you coming on if people have enjoyed what they've heard tonight where can they find you on social media what platforms and what do they need to type in to find you uh, so TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook, with the first three being my main platforms. I'm not a giant Facebook fan, um, but I am on there if you want to message me. It's Chest Thumper Outdoors everywhere. I I kept that the same. Uh, also, you can email me at chestthumperoutdoors at gmail.com, or you can text me at 217-378-0092. I'll answer any of those as quickly as I possibly can. I'm super busy this time of year, particularly for your Australian listeners. I do ship to Australia. There are some shipping charges involved with that. Normally I free ship everything in the lower 48. Um, but I would do my best to make sure I keep the shipping charges as low as possible. Yeah. So I've sent some stuff over there in the past and it's a, it's a bitch with the shipping prices from the States. And that's, that's the big killer for, for most things, but you know, it is what it is. Yeah. So yeah, go over. So you got a website for yeah, people to check uh, out. My website is theCTOutdoors.com. So if you're if you're an Aussie listener and you want to order some stuff or talk to me about stuff and order, your best bet's probably to get a hold of me on socials or through texting or email that way. Um, because I don't have my website set up for international shipping because yeah. honestly it was a pain in the ass and I didn't want to put the time in. So <laughs> I can understand why. Yeah. Where'd, but if you know, I'm where'd the uh, name chest thumper out uh, chest thumper outdoors come from? I get that question a lot, and I wish I had like a really cool story. <laughs> uh, but it, it's kind of it's kind of dumb. When I was 16, I was like, man, I need something different and something that'll make me stand out. And I thought, um, when I get really super hyped up on something, I have this tendency to like beat my chest and like really celebrate. And so the the chest thump there. And then also your heart pounding in a high adrenaline scenario hunting. And then also the sound of an arrow hitting the chest of an animal. Yep. So it's kind of the culmination of all those things. Um, but it was, it was mostly like, how do I get when I'm super excited? And like, I, if I'm super pumped, like I'll beat my chest and I'll freaking hoop and holler. And that's kind of where it came from. I, I wish I had a better, cooler story, but that's just no, that's, that's, what that's happened. Good, man. That's good. That's good. <laughs> Uh, yeah, well, anyway, man, I really appreciate you taking the time to come on the podcast and getting up early. Um, you know, it's Sunday morning there. I'm sure you've got sk- pre-hunting scouting to do or whatnot. Arrows to build. <laughs> arrows arrows to, build. to build. I've got, yeah, about four dozen arrows I need to get on. Get no, on. That's, so. that's my biggest hate about archery is building arrows. <laughs> really? Oh, I, uh, I build a lot as part of my business. Um, I'll be probably close to 150 dozen this year that's insane that's insane (laughs) but yeah you you do it for the passion yeah well and it's gotten to the point like 
I totally kind of want to hire somebody to just build arrows for me because <laughs> first off, it's overwhelming, but yeah, it does get a little old. Oh, I bet, I bet. But at least you can listen to podcasts while you're cruising or TikToking, and jump on TikTok live. But yep, anyway, man, I appreciate you coming on. Enjoy the rest of your day and um, I hope you have a successful hunting season that's coming up. You know, you're what, three months away from, two months away? Right around two months away yep awesome awesome well good luck and i really appreciate you coming on man yeah thank you thank you for joining us on another episode of hunting connection podcast we hope you've enjoyed our discussions and gained valuable insights into the world of hunting fishing and the outdoors to stay connected with us and never miss out on an update please be sure to follow us on social media all at hunting connection podcast We appreciate your support and would love for you to share the podcast with your friends and family. Don't forget to tag us in your hunting photos on social media and let us know about your experiences. Your feedback is invaluable to us, so please take a moment to subscribe, rate and review the podcast. Together, we continue growing and delivering more captivating episodes for all hunting enthusiasts. Stay connected, stay informed and keep pursuing your passion for the hunt. Until next time, happy hunting.